there's new fallout across the nation. Protests were held in multiple cities. Critical race theory movement to entertain young children. It's hard to put into words what exactly we witnessed today. I'm excited to take some folks with us from our church over to Phoenix, Arizona at the end of this month for that great conference. I know some of you are working and you can't make it in person, but it would be cool if you could hop online and, and check out what we're talking about. We're talking about being strong in a culture that is in chaos right now and what it means to, to be strong in the Lord and in our convictions and in the truth with mercy and justice, both. And uh, if, if you're here today and maybe you missed last week, we, we started this new series called Strong Church, which is gonna lead into this conference. And today I wanna talk about strong in mission. That's the title of my message, strong in mission. We're talking about if, if a church is gonna be strong, what is a strong church? What is it like? I believe that we are a strong church. We, pre we preach the Bible, the word of God, and uh, pretty unapologetic about what it says. And it's not my opinion, it's what does God have to say? And so we yield to whatever the Lord says. We come under the authority of the word of God. That's, we're a Bible-believing church. And whatever God's word says, well, it must be right because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who created us. He spoke the world into existence. And this book is living and active. It's it's sharper than a double-edged sword. The word of God cuts between bone and marrow and it even discerns the intents of our own heart. This, the, the word of God is powerful. So we're, we're a strong church already, but what does a strong church do? What do the people believe? What do they teach? Well, I wanna challenge us today to and encourage us to continue to be strong in mission. That we're not a church just about entertainment, we're about evangelism. That's what we're about. Now, I, know, I hope I'm entertaining. Some, I like to be funny. Hillary says I'm funny looking, and that could be entertaining to some of you, but this isn't just about entertainment. This is about evangelism. That's what our church is about. We're not here to sell tickets. We're here to win souls. That's, that's what we're here to do. This isn't about hype. This is about a harvest of people. It's all about people. This isn't a great concert, even though the worship team is pretty good. They're pretty talented and it sounds nice and we, you know, the lights and all the sound and it's awesome, but this is not just a concert. It's, it's all about converts and helping people cross the line of faith. And so I'd like to remind us today that we are a soul winning church. The reason why I'm a pastor today is because I wanted to be a soul winner. And uh, you might not be the pastor of this church, but you're still a soul winner. You might have another vocation or job that you work at and earn an income and a salary, but you're still a soul winner, and so am I. When I leave these doors, I'm a soul winner. I'm, we're a disciple-making church, and we only have two options, evangelize or fossilize. That is the option. If you don't evangelize, we're just gonna die and decay. We gotta continue to reach out to the next generation and those who are lost, and so if I could show you what the church is like, I would say the church is much like a rescue society. 
And it's much more like a rescue boat than it is a yacht club for the already saved. Some churches are like yacht clubs. All the saved people are like, oh, praise the Lord, I'm saved and going to heaven. And I don't know what else, everyone else is going to hell, but I'm saved. And so we'll just show up to church and have our little holy huddle and sing praise the Lord and sing kumbaya. Hallelujah, brother, how you doing, sister? Oh, good, hallelujah. Well, that's all good and great, and I love the community, but there's a little edge to me today, as there is most Sundays, but we're not a yacht club for the already saved. We're a rescue society, constantly throwing out this lifeline. His name is Jesus Christ, and perhaps you've already received the lifeline. Someone has thrown, thrown it out to you. I'm so grateful for my parents because they threw out the lifeline. They raised me in church, and they said, Matt, it doesn't matter, uh, even though we've, we've sh- trained you in the ways of the Lord, we've, we've shown you what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ, but sooner or later, you're gonna have to grab hold of lifeline for yourself, buddy. It's not a hand-me-down faith. You're not gonna be saved just upon your mother and I's decision to follow Jesus Christ. You've gotta grab it for yourself, so grab onto the line. His name is Jesus Christ. He died for your sin, and so I don't have a crazy story. I didn't, uh, I did, never done drugs, uh, I've, never drink, I've never had a problem with alcohol. I drank one beer because my friends said they would come to church if I drank a beer with them and they, they never came. So don't give in to the peer pressure. They're a bunch of losers. They never came. I, I never had any crazy story like that, but I've sinned before and just one sin is enough for the penalty of death. And so I'm a, I'm a sinner just like everybody else and I'm but I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I grabbed a hold of this ring, the hope of the world, his name is Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here to do as a church is to throw out the life ring to people who are drowning without Jesus Christ, who are lost without him, who need a rescue. And that's the primary reason the church exists. And so if we're gonna be a strong church that is strong in mission, we have to go to the word of God in Matthew chapter 28, And many of you know this, what I'm about to read to you, the great commission of Jesus Christ. He gives this great sermon on a mountain and we call it the great commission. This is what he tells us to do as Christians. And so we're gonna read it in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can look at the big Bible on the screen behind me. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So they're on a mountain. They're having this meeting on a mountain. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus says, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this, life, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. And by the way, I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up into the end of the age. Now, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I see a lot of uh, 49er fans out there. That was your opportunity right there. You only get one chance. Now it's over. 
any Chiefs fans in the room? Oh, oh, I hate the Chiefs so much. I love you though, my brother and sister in Christ. Uh, well, in, in the spirit of the Super Bowl, there's a game being played today. It's the Super Bowl. Some of, us, some of you don't care about sports at all, but mostly everyone in the, in the, at least in the US and around the world will be watching this game. Even if you don't like sports, it's the biggest televised sporting event of the year. And there are three teams that will hit the field. There will be the home team, and of course there will be the visiting team, which means there will be a three-hour conflict between these two teams because they're gonna clash as they go in two different directions. One has a goal this way, the other has a goal that way, and for three hours, no amount of argument will make them get along. It's the nature of the gridiron conflict and it's inevitable. And in the middle of this conflict, in the middle of this battle, a third team is introduced. This is the team of the officials, the NFL referees. There are seven officials in an NFL game whose job it is to manage the mess, to be in the middle of the conflict without be becoming part of the conflict. These seven representatives, these seven referees, do not belong to the home team and they don't belong to the visiting team unless the Chiefs are playing in which they're bought and paid for <laughs> by the Chiefs. Sorry, but I believe that's the truth. I just can't help but preaching the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. <laughs> These officials though, they're, they're supposed to belong to a whole another kingdom. They don't play for this team and they don't play for that team. They're supposed to be in the middle, managing the mess. That's the way the NFL works. The NFL offices are located at 345 Park Avenue in New York. And what they do is they dispense to all 32, all 32 teams, every game, their kingdom representatives. And these representatives are situated on the field, but they get their instructions from 345 Park Avenue in New York. So they get instructions from up there for the decisions they make down here in the middle of the battle that is being played on the field. And get this, each official has been handed a book. I think you can see where I'm going with this. The book is the governing guidelines by which all decisions are to be made on the field of play. Their personal opinions are subject to the book. Their personal opinions don't matter. It's what does the book say? What is the rules? Their perspectives must adjust to that book, regardless of how they feel about this team or that team. They've gotta make all of their decisions predicated on what is written in the book from their kingdom up there and the chaos down here. Now they understand that their presence on the field is not part of a popularity contest. They understand that sometimes they're gonna be booed for decisions and calls that are made on the field that go against the crowd. Christians, the church, us, are gonna get booed by the world by following the guidelines of the book that have been given to us from another kingdom. And that kingdom is a heavenly kingdom, it's from God. And so these referees in the NFL, they're, they, get their, they get their rule book, their guidelines from another kingdom, and they know that they're gonna be booed and sometimes they're gonna be cheered but they are easily distinguishable as well. You never have to guess who the referees are because they have black and white jerseys on. You know who they are because of their uniform. 
They don't wear the jerseys of this team. They don't wear the jerseys of that team. They are independent of both teams. They represent another order. They represent another kingdom. Well, if we're gonna be a strong church, we need to be Christians who are true disciples of Jesus, who are set apart for him. We get our orders from another kingdom that is not of this world. We need men and women who distinguish themselves in the chaos of the battle of the game going on, which is spiritual. And I'm so proud of this young man named Brock Purdy, the quarterback of the 49ers, who is standing firm in his faith, who is distinguishable. Check out this interview of this young man who is on fire for the Lord. Living to, you know, be set apart, you know, it's, it's easy to, yes, repent of your sins and um, be about Jesus. But, you know, to know, hey, I can't keep doing this sin. You know, I've, I've acknowledged it. I got to move on. But um, to be on fire for the Lord and to walk with him, I think right now, man, I'm all about, hey, I'm living set apart from the world. People can think this about me or whatever. That's fine. The bottom line is for me, my identity is in Jesus. I get that, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with that. But it's not, hey, I'm better than you. No, it's I'm called to do this. I'm called to witness. I'm called to share the word. I have this knowledge, you know, um, of the Spirit, and I want to give it to as many people as I can. So, yeah, that's, I think what God has taught me in the past year, um, I'd say, I'm continuing to grow in that. And um, man, I just want to—I just want to be able to witness and defend the Christian faith as best as I can moving forward. So, I'm not a 49ers fan, but I clap for that. I'm rooting for this guy. In Matthew chapter 28, we're going to go back to this Great Commission. There, Jesus is—he's hosting this meeting, and it was the only meeting that Jesus called between the time of his resurrection and his ascension. So. These people that went to this meeting had seen Jesus die on the cross. They saw him buried in a borrowed tomb, and now they're witnessing him live and in person. He's risen from the dead after he rose on the third day. And we find out that three groups of people are invited to this meeting on the mountain. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, we see that the 11 disciples minus Judas attended the meeting. Judas, of course, was the betrayer. He went out and hung himself for betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He, he sold out and uh, he, he didn't stay strong, strong to the end. So we have 11 disciples showing up in Matthew 28, 16. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So that's the first group of people at this meeting. And then the apostle Paul describes a second group that attended this meeting. And we find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Starting in verse three, the apostle Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. There's the first group. And, and after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So the second group that attends the meeting, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, was 500 brethren or 500 brothers and sisters of Christ, followers, disciples. So that's either 511 total people or 489, depending on whether the 11 disciples are included in that total or not. It really doesn't matter. That's a large group of people, almost 500 people or a little over 500 people. And then the third group invited to this meeting is you and me. 
because Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Well, the end of the age has not yet ended, so you and I are invited to this meeting. So why don't we mosey on up to the mountain and see what this meeting is all about that we've been invited to? Some of you are real nosy, and you're like, ooh, a meeting with information. I wanna know. Well, I'm nosy too, and I wanna know what is going on in this meeting that Jesus held in Matthew chapter 28. They start off with a worship service because it says in Matthew 28, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They started out like, so, like we started this morning with praise and worship. And you know, when we worship God, worship is the recognition of, for, of, of God for who he is, that he's holy. We sing about it today. You are holy, you are holy, we cry holy. I mean, he's holy, he is the standard, he's awesome, he's mighty. We worship him for what he's done and for what we're trusting him to do. And so while they were worshiping, we're also told that at this meeting on the mountain, some were there, but they were doubtful. Some were in church, but with question marks, and they weren't fully convinced, and perhaps you are one of those here today. You're here in worship, but you're not fully convinced, and you've got some questions about how, how real is this Jesus thing, and how powerful is this biblical proclamation? How strong is this community of believers, especially in light of all that we're seeing with the chaos in the culture? So they were there, but they were there with questions that had not yet been answered. And after the singing and the prayer time and this worship service, Jesus takes the microphone and he says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So again, put yourself in the shoes of the people that have just seen him die with their very own eyes, saw him crucified on the cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, and now he's alive again. And his three groups in the audience, and he says this, I'm in charge now. All authority has been given to me. All authority belongs to me in heaven up there and earth down here. I'm in charge of eternity. I'm in charge in heaven, and I'm in charge in history. I'm in charge in the sweet by and by, and I'm in charge in the nasty here and now. And then Jesus issues his instruction and he says, because I have all authority and because you're my followers, I'm commanding you with this great commission. What does he tell us to do? Therefore, and every time you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to wonder, what is it there for? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He says, I want you to make disciples. I don't want you to just make church attenders. I want real disciples 24-7, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sold out for the cause of me, Jesus Christ. You know, once a person places their faith in Christ, like many of you have and I have, we enter into the school of discipleship. You may or may not have known that until now, but you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? A disciple is a man or a woman who is progressively learning to live all of life under the rule of Jesus Christ. That means that God owns more of me this year than he did last year. That means next year he's gonna own more of me next year than he does of me this year. I'm progressively learning and growing and he is my Lord and my leader. I'm coming under his authority. It means that God owns more of you this year than he did last year. And 
discipleship is really, it's a replication process. When you're becoming a disciple, you're replicating the conduct and the character and the attitude and the actions of Christ Jesus. I grew up in the church, like I've said, and many of you know that, but I, I learned how to serve at a young age, and I've done everything from janitorial to fixing the tithe envelopes on the seat and making sure everyone had a connect card to uh, shaking people's hands at the doors as our welcome team and ushers do so beautifully. And I've, I've served in youth ministry and young adult ministry. Well, when I was in middle school, I was so pumped to be a part of the CD burning ministry back when CDs were still happening. You know, when you would take a, we had, we had this ministry where people would want the sermon that was preached that Sunday. Right after service, they would come and they would get their CDs hot off the press and we had this duplicator. And I think that's really why I wanted to be on the CD burning ministry because I'm like, wow, look at that. Uh, look at that duplicator. We had racks of them just pumping out CDs. And uh, I'd be like, here you go. Here, like dumb and dumber, you know? He's here you go, here you go, here you go. And uh, there's more where that came from. And um, it was awesome. The CD, though, there was a master copy that would get recorded, and you would take that master copy the moment the church service ended, and you would put the master copy in the top duplicator, and then it would burn CDs of the master below. So the burn CD is not the master, it's just the copy. But the copy was so much like the master, you could confuse it for the master because it's a replication of the master, but there's only one master, but the copy is designated to reflect the master. And so here's the point of why I tell you that long old story about me being in the CD burning ministry. Jesus wants to run off of you and me and burn in you so much that you become a visible verbal copy of the master. It's almost indistinguishable. People, when they see you, they see Jesus. When they hear you talk, they hear it's like Jesus in human form. That is the goal of discipleship, that you would replicate the master, that you would be a copy of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus gives us the great commission. And he says, I want you to do three things. I'm commanding you to do this. This isn't the great, uh, you know, maybe do this. <laughs> great, it's a great commission. Like I'm commanding you to go, to baptize, and to teach. And so we're gonna break these three down right now. And then I'm gonna do a break dance every, after every single one. No, I don't even know how to dance. When I go to weddings and uh, you're dancing, Brandon, I'm just like, I wanna be like Brandon. He's just, honestly, we should have you dance right now. It's so good. But um, I wish I could dance like you, Brandon. But I'm gonna preach because that's what God has gifted me to do. I can do this, you can't do this, but I can do this and you can do some things that I can't do and we're the body of Christ, but we've all been called to go. And so the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So the reason why we gather on Sundays is to go back out. And when we go back out, we gather and we come back. We go to gather and we gather to go. And so the question is not only what you get when you come here, but the difference you make when you leave here. When the benediction is over, when the service ends, for all of my Catholic friends, when the mass is over, when this church service ends, it's like a team huddle in a football game. When you go to SoFi Stadium and you watch 11 grown men bend over in a huddle, no one goes to the game to see 11 grown men 
bend over in a huddle. All we care about is what happens after the huddle. Is there an impact after that huddle? Well, here on Sundays, we have, I guess it's a holy huddle. We're praying, we're worshiping, we're coming together as the body of believers. There are some here that maybe you're here and you're kicking the tires of Christianity and you're checking it out. Well, you're involved in the huddle, this holy huddle right now. But all we care about and all the world cares about is when we leave this place, what do we do with what we've done here today? Can we score? Are we winning souls? They wanna see our impact If you're accused at work of being a follower of Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's the question. Or would you be found innocent of all charges because you've become a secret agent Christian? Nobody knows what you stand for. You're indistinguishable. Now that sounds mean a little bit, and it's a little bit of tough love today, but I'm just challenging and encouraging you, some of you who are on the fence. Maybe you've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Today is your day to make a move, to become a fully devoted, full court follower of Jesus Christ, where it's not just on Sundays, but it's every day, following the Lord with your whole heart, giving him your whole life, and watching what he does in and through you. Everybody else is coming out of the closet, you might as well too, okay? So, (laughs) number two, he says go, and then baptize, Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about what is baptism. Well, Jesus chooses this word baptize, which means to fully immerse. It means full immersion into this new life with Christ. He's explaining that when you come to Christ, you've got a new identity, that the old is gone, the new has come, And Jesus commands us to be baptized with him. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. You've died to yourself and now you are raised to new life in Christ. When a football team, again, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so I got a lot of football analogies. But when a football team plays underneath the helmet and the uniform, there are players of every color, every background, every history, uh, but they're united on one team. And that's the body of Christ. That's how it should be. We should be united in one thing, Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, the life. He is the savior. He is leader. He is Lord. And we are on team Jesus Christ. And water baptism, it's like you're no longer identified by all the different categories that the world tries to label you by. You are a Christian You have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased you, period. That's it. That's your new identity. So if you are dating somebody and they have pronouns in their Instagram bio, it's red flag. Just run the opposite direction. That is a, I know I'm I'm just preaching it like the truth, okay? If you're a Christian, you have one pronoun, saved, (laughs) redeemed, By the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance in Luke chapter three, verse two through four. It says, then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah the prophet had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. I feel like this is a John the Baptist era that we're living in to a culture that has gone rogue, 
that is so anti-God that is taking God out of everything. We're like John the Baptist now. Prepare the way for the Lord. Repent, be baptized, bow your knee, humble yourself. And so the first thing we do is we repent of our sins. That means we say, God, I'm sorry that my sin has separated me from you. Repentance just isn't crying and feeling remorse for your past, even though you ought to be not satisfied with your old way of life. Anyone can cry. But repentance is changing the course of your life. That's what it means to really repent. You change your mind. You do a 180. You turn around. I used to live this way. I used to have this attitude. But I'm changing my life. I'm lining myself up with the word of God and I'm doing it God's way. That's what repentance really is. The Bible says repent and then what? Be baptized. So it's not only that I'm living a different life, but I'm actually making a public declaration of an inward confession that I've made. I'm going public with my faith. I'm not gonna be private. I'm gonna let everybody know that I live for Jesus. And we're gonna have water baptism right at the close of this service. If you're interested today to be water baptized, I would encourage you that if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you haven't yet been water baptized, the water's fine, it's chlorinated, it's warm. We have a change of clothes for you. Just take your shoes and socks off and get in, baby, and uh, you can change afterward. So water baptism, it doesn't save you. Jesus saves you because it's not by works that you are saved, but water baptism is a separate decision. There's something powerful that takes place when you get baptized. When you go down in that water and you come back up, it means that I'm dead to the old life and I'm resurrected to new life. It's symbolic that I'm no longer who I used to be. I'm not that old person anymore. We may not be where we wanna be, but thank God we're not where we used to be. The Bible says in Galatians chapter two, verse 20 through 21, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Baptism symbolizes my old self, my old addictions, my old craving, my old attitude, my old desires are gone. And because I have the Holy Spirit living in me, he empowers me to live the Christian life, to convict me and to help me and lead me and guide me. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Baptism means I'm cleansed from my sin because of Jesus. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. I love this question. What are you waiting for? <laughs> Get up and be baptized. Today's the day. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So when we baptize people, we baptize people in the name of Jesus Christ. You ought to get good at speaking the name of Jesus because there's only one name that cleanses sin, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we have victory. Who can stand against us, the Bible says? Who dares stand against us? Wow. And in the name of Jesus, Satan has to leave and darkness cannot hide. What a powerful name. Demons tremble at the mighty name of Jesus. If all you have is one prayer and it's Jesus, what a great prayer. Everywhere you go, demons go running. Darkness 
hides at the name of Jesus. He's a healer. He's a way maker. He is the lover of my soul. I love the name Jesus, the precious name of Jesus. There's an old song that we used to sing in church. I'm not even gonna do it very good, but I'm gonna sing it anyway. It goes, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth. And then the choir goes, proclaim. (laughs) And then they sing, kings and kingdoms, they will all pass away. All the governments of the world will pass away. Kings will bow. People who think they're great will bow. But there's something about that name. There's one name that my mom cried out when I was drowned in a swimming pool. They found my body lifeless at three years old, no ripples floating at the top of the pool because I had, and I'd been there for about 30 minutes. And my mom jumped in and she said, Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) That's what my dad told me was the prayer that they prayed when they pulled me out of the pool. And all the way to the hospital, there was one prayer and one name, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about the name of Jesus. I'm supposed to have brain damage and that's the running joke in my family and we're still (laughs) trying to figure that out. But I praise Jesus for saving me in that pool, not only for saving me in that pool when I should have died, but for rescuing my soul. There's something about the name of Jesus. Though your sins be like crimson, this man, this name Jesus can wash you white as snow. If it doesn't wreck you, you better, don't forever forget the grace of God. I don't care how gross, how wicked or evil, what you've touched, what you did, what you looked at, what you participated in. The Bible says, though your sin be like crimson, this man can wash you white as snow. I wonder if we can just do like a 10 second praise break to thank Jesus for his grace. Would you stand your feet all across this place and give the Lord praise for saving your soul and redeeming you from the pit. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy that we did not deserve. Lord, we glorify you. We worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You all thought that was the end. I got five more minutes left. That's what you call a praise break, all right? Once you were dead, now you're alive in Christ. When you get baptized, it's symbolic that you have been cleansed from all that filth. You've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Something renewed in you because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful that God does not leave me as I am. He has a plan for me, he has a plan for you, a purpose for your life, a hope, a calling, a great future for my life. And I don't wanna just be saved. So many people stop right there, oh God, I'm saved. I'm making it to heaven. That's all I care about, I just wanna get in. But there's so much more that God wants to do in and through you. He has the power of the Holy Spirit that He wants to activate in your life. The Bible says this in Acts chapter two, verse 38. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a 
incredible gift in your life and my life as a Christian. The Holy Spirit is the X factor that makes all the difference. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to walk with God. He reminds you to do it every single day. He fills you with a power that doesn't come from yourself. When your knees are buckling and you're like, I can't handle it anymore, and you call upon the Holy Spirit and you say, God, I need your strength, and he strengthens you with a supernatural strength. When you lose somebody that in your life that was dear to you, and you're just like, I don't know if I could go on anymore, but you call upon the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says that his perfect peace surpasses all understanding, and it covers your, your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus, and everyone's looking at, at you like, wow, you're so strong, and you say, oh, it's not me. I, know, I am weak, but he is strong in me, and you give him all the glory and honor. And then you say, Holy Spirit, I want you to have every part of my life. I don't want to stiff arm you anymore. I don't, want to, I don't want to hold you off from doing what you want to do. I want to, I want to pray in that heavenly prayer language, that, that gift of tongues that the Holy Spirit wants to give. The apostle Paul says you should desire all the gifts. The gift of discernment. It's not that you're so smart. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit that helps you make wise choices and discern what is true and what is not true. And the gift of wisdom and the gift of faith. When everyone sees nothing, you see something great, a great opportunity of what God can do. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit that is at work in the life of a Christian. It's the X factor. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness in this world. So don't stiff arm the Holy Spirit. Don't be like the Baptists who say, God the Father, yay. God the Son, yay. God the Holy Spirit, I don't know. <laughs> Not all Baptists are that way, but the Holy Spirit is powerful. If you've never invited the Holy Spirit into your life, ask him to come in and refresh you and fill you with a new power. Right now, we're gonna do it right now. If you're here today, you've never received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've said, Jesus, you can come into my life, but you've never given access to the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, I want you to do something in my life and use me. Well, you can't do anything great for God without the Holy Spirit. And so we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit right now, Lord, would you fill each believer in this place? If they've confessed you, Jesus, as Lord, would you fill them today? Touch them, Lord, minister in a powerful way. Right now, we give you every area of our life, every nook and cranny, and we ask you to shine a light and do a work that you can do. Cleanse us, convict us, lead us, and guide us. Give us the gift of faith, the gift of, the, the gift of prophecy to be able to speak encouragement over people's lives and the gift of wisdom and discernment and the gift of healing to be able to pray with great faith that people might be healed in body and and sound minds, and Lord, would you use us to do great and mighty things, but most of all, the gift of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness in this world, so would you help us be a great witness in this life? Would you help us be great uh, Christians, Lord, who love you with all of our heart and great examples of you in Jesus' name, amen. And then the last and final point as we get ready to close today is in this great commission, Jesus says, go, baptize, and teach. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what? And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So I just, I think it's interesting. Jesus doesn't tell us to observe what he has commanded. He says, but teaching them to obey everything 
I have commanded you. He says the goal here is not education, it is application. If you were needing life-saving surgery and the the surgeon sat you down and put his hand on your knee, he said, hey, this is what we're gonna do tomorrow. He goes through all the details and the nuances of, he says, I'm gonna cut here, I'm gonna cut here, I'm gonna sew up here, we're gonna do this. It's gonna save your life. It's obvious that this doctor has been to school, that he has learned his craft excellently, but then he says, do you have any questions for me? I don't know about you, but I would have a couple questions. The first question would be, how many times have you done this before? And if he were to answer, well, you're my first, but I made an A plus in class and I just graduated, I'd be like, get me somebody else who's done this before. I don't care about his grade. I don't care about his knowledge or his information. That would not impress me one bit. I wanna know, is, is, is there gonna be a good result? The second question I would have is, well, if you've done this before, how are the people doing after you've worked with them? And if he says, well, none of them made it, I don't care about your grades. I wanna know what your skill, what are the results? And here's the, here's the point of that. Going to Bible study is critical for a believer to grow. Attending church is necessary. Serving is essential for a Christian, but it is only meaningful if you apply what you read in God's word, if you obey his commands. That's what a disciple is all about. And so this is the tough love. If you call me your pastor, I'm encouraging you today to be the real deal. I'll close with this final story. I really think it, it, it ends I heard this story this week. I'm like, that's it right there. This, this is, this is the, the sermon right here. A man who had just gotten married, him and his newlywed wife were going to their honeymoon and they left the wedding ceremony and they were going to spend their first evening together as a married couple. And so the husband drive, is driving fast, man. He's like, we gotta get out of here. We gotta get to the hotel room. And uh, they're in a rural, rural countryside in a little country wedding and they get to the main highway and they're behind an 18-wheeler and the husband's like going around the 18-wheeler and lo and behold, it's a foggy night. They didn't see headlights coming over the hill and the head-on collision, the car flips over into a ditch and when the husband comes to first, he looks over at his wife and his wife is bleeding and he's thinking in his mind, oh no, this is not good, she is going to die. And that's when he, saw it just above him on the hill, there was a sign that said, Office of Dr. Bill Jones. How fortunate could it be, he thought, that this accident happened in front of a doctor's office. And so as best he could, the man staggered around to the passenger side of the car and picked up his beloved wife and staggered up the hill and knocked on the door frantically of this doctor's office. And an older gentleman came to the door and the husband said, she's dying, she's dying, save her. And the old man said, I'm so sorry, but I'm not, I'm, I stopped practicing years ago. And the young man said, mister, you have two choices, save her or take down your sign. Don't have a sign up to giving me the impression that if I came to you, you could make a difference. But when I come to you, you don't practice anymore. And the point of that story is a lot of Christians today are carrying around a sign. I'm a Christian, I, I go to church, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a disciple, I'm a, I'm a church member, I'm this, I'm that. But when the culture is collapsing, when the world is falling apart, we only discover that, well, I don't practice anymore. We don't have an answer. We're not standing strong in the faith. And so the challenge today is clear. Either take down your sign or start practicing your Christian faith. 
so that everybody knows that you belong to the king. You should walk different, talk different, act different, be different. Because you've been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you should be distinguishable in this world that you are a child of the most high God. Wherever you go, you, the Holy Spirit is with you even to the end of the age. It's quiet in here. Necks are being scratched. There's a gulp in your throat because some of you have yet to receive Christ and make him your leader and Lord. And you've been playing church and you've been, you know, kind of dancing around. But today's the day to commit your life to him. There may not be another day. Today's the day of salvation. I wanna pray a prayer with you to receive Christ. Some of you have received Christ, but you've not yet been water baptized. Today's the day to go public with your faith in Jesus Christ. It's gonna be a banner day when you leave out this door on fire for the Lord saying, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna charge hell with a water gun. You know, I'm, I'm gonna go after it for you, God. Would you stand your feet all across this place as we pray? With your head bowed and eyes closed, Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and I thank you for this beautiful day in your house. I wanna lead those in prayer today that have never made you their personal Lord and Savior, Jesus. And today is the day to come to the cross and to lay down our sin and receive your grace and your forgiveness and to make you our Lord and leader. If you're here today and you'd like to receive Christ, would you lift up your hand all across this place? God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, thank you, God bless you. You can put them down, God bless you. Awesome, our hands lifted all over this place, God bless you. What an amazing decision today, the greatest decision of your life, to give your life to the Lord. You're about to enter into a relationship with the God who made you and loves you. He's gonna fill you with his Holy Spirit. He's gonna change you from the inside out through the power of his Holy Spirit. Your past is going to be forgiven. You have a hope and a new identity in Jesus Christ. You have a hope in heaven and he's gonna use you to do great and mighty things for him on this earth to be a light in the dark places in Jesus' name. And if you're here and that's your prayer, just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Today I repent of my sin. That means I turn from my own way and I wanna go your way. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me white as snow. Help me live for you all the days of my life from this day forward. I'm no longer my own. I'm a child of the Most High King. I'm a bondservant to you, Jesus. Whatever you say, I will do gladly with joy in my heart. I will serve you for the rest of my life. I lay myself down and I ask that you would become greater as I become less in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say a good amen, amen, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, your next step is water baptism. We're gonna worship the Lord right now with all of those that are being water baptized today. Let's worship God. Don't leave just yet. Let's celebrate all that God is doing in the lives of those that are being water baptized today.